y'all would go ahead and grab a seat. Thank y'all so much for worshiping with us. If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn it to the book of Romans. We've been in Romans. Well, as in like one week. <laughs> Suck you on. But for, we're going to go week two now. Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. And uh, we're going to start in verse 18 here in, in just a few moments. Hey, question. So if you're going to take a picture of some sort um, and you're like, so let's, let's say you guys, not that you would do this, this would be weird, but let's say I, I'm up here on stage and you're going to take a picture. What would be, what matters when you kind of square the picture up? What are some things that you would want to take into consideration to make it a good picture? Lighting. Okay. What else? Did you sometimes I say buckets? <laughs> like bucket head. <laughs> Sorry. What'd you say? A good looking face? So yeah, so bring someone else up on stage, okay? Not cool, bro. <laughs> Focus. Focused. Focus. That was, okay, that's where I thought buckets. Okay, focus, right? So good focus. Okay, maybe, let me help you out a little bit. So let's say you're going to take a selfie, all right? And have you ever done this? You're going to take a selfie, and once you get to, like, your, the phone up, you're like, eh, that's not the right spot. What's the problem? The angle? What else? I'm running out of time. <laughs> ah, who said that? Thank you. Yeah, the backdrop, right? Sometimes, you know, you're know, with me now? Sometimes you go take the picture and you're like, oh, I'll scratch that because the backdrop is not right. Whatever backdrop you have for a picture or even for, let's say, a painting, it helps what's in focus, Mary, what's in focus, it helps that pop a little bit, right? It helps you see the beauty of what is really there. Y'all with me? With me? Um, and that's not just true of pictures, it's also true of stories. So sometimes if you know the full story, it helps the main characters or the heart of that story. What's most important, it helps it pop a little bit and seem more important and helps you appreciate it more if you know the full story. Some of y'all have heard me talk about this before, but when my wife and I got married, we got married at this place called the Rebu Club. In, but you don't say it that way, it's the Rebu Club. Anyways, the Rebu Club in just kind of, uh, I guess, northeast of Jacksonville, so it's real close to the ocean, really beautiful place. It's this old um, clubhouse from like the early 1900s, super cool. So that's where we're getting married. And um, it's off this, well, first of all, it takes forever to get to because you're driving like kind of through the intercoastal area. And then once you like, get to the road that goes to the Rebu Club, it's this windy road that takes forever to get to. Well, when it was time for the wedding, the day of, my brother-in-law, who is awesome, Chris, he is 6'4", so I better be careful how I describe this story, because he's really awesome and huge and buff, kind of like me, and so, just kidding. So anyways, um, Chris, at the time, had, uh, he was married to my wife, who's, sorry, no, no that sounds weird. <laughs> oh, let me clarify. Sorry, you'll, you'll know why I did that in a second. He's married to my sister, who is also named... Lauren, okay, so you could see how I could get that confused, okay? I remember when, I, when Lauren and I first got married, people were like, wait, your wife's name is Lauren Hayes? <laughs> like, no, not my sister. Anyways, so um, he was married to my sister, Lauren, who was with child, Abigail, who's now like almost eight years old, seven years old. But he also had two little boys at the time. Um, and so he's trying to take care of his little boys and take care of my sister, Lauren. And he was kind of frustrated. And he was never like a jerk about it. Chris is super cool. But he was a little frustrated irritated that we had to get 
married in this remote, obscure place that took forever to get to. You with me? It was kind of like, why can't we just get married in the church, in town, make it easy? Why do I have to get dressed like so early in the day to go all the way out here, out in the middle of nowhere? He was kind of frustrated. Well, finally came time for the ceremony. He hadn't really said that to me. I just know he had kind of been frustrated. Told my mom, just kind of laughing about it. Well, came time for the ceremony, and uh, the guy who married us, John, part of the ceremony, he told our story. And here was part of our story. That place, that location where the wedding was, that was the very place that I had first set eyes on my wife, Lauren. That was the very, she was in a different wedding from one of my friends, actually the couple that introduced us. And that was the very, I still remember the tree she was standing under, which they cut it down. R.I.P. Anyways, but I still remember the tree she was standing under during the wedding. Um, I'm not Catholic, I don't know why I did that. Anyway, sorry, I don't know what that is. Anyways, she was standing under this tree. And that's when I first saw her. So Chris, all of a sudden, is like, man, that's pretty cool. And then that was also in that same spot is where I had proposed to Lauren. And so when Chris heard all this, he was like, hey, it's a pretty cool place, right? Like all of a sudden, when he knew the backdrop, the full story, he, he was able to appreciate what was going on in that moment, right? Here's the reality. When, when we... Get the full story of the story of God and us that we're in. The gospel becomes so much more beautiful. So much more wonderful. And it, it, it already is beautiful and wonderful, but we get to see it for what it really is as beautiful and wonderful. And I want to tell you tonight, just, just put this on the table. Like, um, this is, this is a, a difficult passage to preach. Like Allie, uh, David's wife and I were talking about it. Like this is not something we like to hear, but to, to quote an old Frey song, anybody remember the Frey band? Um, sometimes the hardest thing and the right thing are the same. And that's kind of what we got going here is that this is a really difficult truth, but it's still the right truth is still the truth. And so it's worth looking at. Y'all with me? And so I want you to know if, if you just came tonight because a friend invited you or you're, or you're a guest, Please do not for a second think that they invited you because you needed to hear this particular message, okay? Like, this, there's no kind of scheme going on here. Now, what God may have for you tonight, I don't know. Maybe this really is for you, but please do not accuse your friends of some sort of uh, evil scheme, all right? Um, so, that said, I know I'm up here joking and laughing, but uh, we're going to get uh, pretty serious here in a second. So, here's the first thing you need to see. I'm not going to be a bunch of points, but I want you to see the first thing that is true of our story that we probably most of us don't like to think about or talk about. And it's not very popular in our culture. Here's the first thing. God, this is going to sound crazy, but wait till the end of the sermon so you don't think I'm crazy. God is angry with us. God has anger, has wrath towards us as humans. Anger, or excuse me, wrath being the extreme anger, hatred of sin. So because we're sinners, God has wrath towards us. Look real quick at chapter 1, verse 18. It says, for the wrath, we just talked about that, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So, All of us are under the wrath of God. So first thing, God is angry with us. And let's clarify, this is not an anger like some of y'all, 
I don't, sometimes I wake up like this. Do you ever just wake up and you're just in a bad mood? You know what I'm talking about? You're just like, you go to school or, or work or what you're doing and you like snap at somebody and like, what's your deal? You're like, I don't know, but I'm just ticked, right? I'm just angry, right? Um, sometimes you're just in a bad mood. This is not this kind of anger. Like occasionally God wakes up on the wrong side of the bed or that he's just like an, a grumpy old man. That, that's, that's not what this is. This is a steady, even focused, righteous, just anger. We might say, well, question, Mr. Hayes. <laughs> why, why is God angry with us? Like, what, what, okay, you mentioned the word sin, but why is he angry with us? And us, uh, using that word very intentionally, meaning all of us, all right? Here's the second thing, and I won't give you any more points after this. Here's the second thing. God is angry with us because we worship all the wrong things. God is angry. So not just like, I'm kind of frustrated. Like He is angry with all of us because we worship all the wrong things. Look at what it says in the scriptures. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So here's what's happening. He says, God's wrath is revealed to us. We're all under God's wrath, his anger, his ultimate or ultimately one day, like final judgment. We're all under that because we suppress the truth. What does it mean to suppress? Like, to, to push it down, right? It makes you think about those, the whack-a-mole things. Is that what it's called? They're like, oh, it keeps popping up and you hit like, we, we're suppressing it. We want to hide it, cover, suppress the truth. And here's what's about to happen in the rest of these verses. Paul's going to kind of open up the lens on the camera and give us a wider perspective of what's going on. Here's what he says. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. I love what it says. What can be known about God is plain to them. So here's what it's saying. Not that everything about Jesus and the cross and salvation of the cross is plain to us. But it's in that any human being from the beginning of time... When you just walk out and look at creation and experience creation, it is plain to us that there is a creator. There is a sovereign, meaning someone who's in control. There's a sovereign creator, God, who created everything. Now, just as a side note, this is not a sermon. Though it could be, we're not going to go there. This is not a sermon. This text is not about creationism versus um, evolution. Okay, so we're not going to chase all that. But just to be honest with you, and if you can't agree with me, that's okay. But I'm going to assume that, like, if you just are honest, you can agree with this. Even if you... Who's been to Paladero Canyon? Okay, I mean, it's not the most epic thing in the world. But, you know, when I go to Paladero Canyon and I walk around, I can't help but in my gut go, man, God's pretty cool. Anybody, anybody with me? Lauren and I had an ultrasound today. Man, she hates she couldn't be here again. I'm sorry. We had another ultrasound today. Had is four pounds, like eight ounces, big muscles, and beard is crazy. And, and Carolina Tate is like almost four pounds, which is crazy because 
man, that's a lot of baby to be carrying. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, I don't, I'm getting distracted. But seeing those babies on the screen, I did not go, man, it seems that evolution over the past millions of years has... I went, whoa! Look what God did! Right? We, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, sorry. Okay. So, um, if you go... Anybody ever been to the ocean? I know we're a long ways from it here. But when I go to the ocean, if, I, if it's in Florida, we had the opportunity to go to California this summer. It was uh, in May. It was amazing and beautiful. When I go to the ocean, I'm overcome with God as a creator. I don't, I'm not saying I think about the cross and all these things, but I just can't help but think, man, look what God made. Man, we, when we go to the Colorado um, Rocky Mountains in Colorado, y'all been up there? I don't know about y'all, but I, I'm... Every time I go, I'm just kind of dumbfounded at God's majesty and glory. What he's saying is, the fact that there is a God who is bigger than us, who is majestic and who is sovereign, meaning in control. When we look at just the created world, it it is plain to us that there is a God. So we're without excuse for what we do. And here's what we do. Keep tracking with me. End of verse 20 says, so they are without excuse for what we do. And here's what we do. Verse 21. For although they knew God, so okay, we, we see all these things. It's obvious there is a creator. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God... For images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here's our story. This is true of every human being. Though when we just walk outside and breathe the fresh air and see the sun and moon and stars. And I know it may not be the most beautiful place. But even lovely walk outside and see the glory of God, the majesty of God. Even though we know God is there and he's bigger than us. All of us, what it says from the beginning of time, have chosen to ignore that truth and go and worship other things. And some of you are sitting here maybe thinking like, man, that's not true. I've never like worshipped an idol. I've never bowed down before something else. It doesn't have to be some metal statue or something made out of wood, right? All of us are guilty of idolatry. All of us worship the wrong things. We exchange, says, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Idolatry is choosing to love something, to want something, to pursue something more than God. It's saying all of us are guilty of that. All of us have, rather than worship God and and acknowledge him as the greatest, we, we turn to other things as the greatest. See, idolatry is ascribing to things that are not God the attributes that are true only of God. Idolatry is being consumed with a person, another human, so much so that you, you, all you can think of is how wonderful they are and how perfect they are, when the reality is, Only God is ultimately wonderful and perfect. You with me? It's 
looking at an object and desiring an object and, and being consumed with it so much so that it takes all your affections and your desires and your thoughts and your concerns that you have to have it. When really the reality is only God is so beautiful and wonderful and perfect that he deserves all our thoughts, all our focus, all our attention. But all of us have turned and worshiped and focused on other things. All of us are guilty of idolatry. The reality is, even if someone says, excuse me, I'm not going to worship God, I'm not going to focus on God, I'm not going to pursue him as first in my life, we are created to to be worshipers, so you're always going to go and worship something else. We're going to get into a little more detail about what those things are here in a second. But we're created to worship, so you can't just say, I'm not going to worship God, because if you don't worship God, you're going to worship something else. Look at, look at what happens because we're idolaters. Therefore, so because we've turned from worshiping God to worshiping other things, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we see there in verse 25, again, the problem that we're all guilty of, why we stand under God's wrath, the problem God has with us is that all of us, rather than than loving God supremely and making him our first desire, we all choose to worship a creature rather than the creator, right? We get distracted by another person or things of this world rather than the creator. And so the result of that is he says, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. The word lust there, don't, it's not just about sexual sin. The word lust there literally means over desires. So here's what this means. It's desiring something good so much so that it becomes an ultimate desire for you. So to say it maybe a little more simply, it's turning a good thing into a God thing. That's what idolatry is, is a good gift that God has given us. Taking that and turning it into a God thing. Just to maybe pick on something that's easier to talk about. So that would be the case with gluttony, right? Is food a good gift from God? Preach, right? Absolutely, food is a good gift from God. But if I turn, if I let food become my everything... That's a problem, right? That's a problem. Um, but I, I don't really, we're going to come back to that. Okay, so you get the point there. It's an over-desire. So here's verse 24. I'm going to ask you. So when we have idolatrous hearts, we turn from God and worship and focus on these other things. What does it say God does? Verse 24. You look in your Bible. It's okay. He gives them up. Gives us up. So here's what's happening there. When we choose, okay, I'm not going to worship God. I'm going to worship other things, whether it be myself or whatever. It says God gives us up to those sins. So not like he gives up, like it just like gives up on you, but he gives you up to those things. So here's, we've kind of looked at God's wrath and why we're under God's wrath. It's because we're idolaters. We've chosen to worship other things besides him. Instead of loving him first, we love other things first. And Here's how God pours out his wrath, at least 
in these days. Eventually, it'll be poured out in a place called hell. But right now, how his wrath is poured out is that he just gives us up to our sin. So to say it more simply, this is really scary. He just gives us what we want. Rather than wanting God, desiring God, I want this other thing or person or object or whatever. And so ultimately, if that's, if I keep, I, I don't want God, I, I want this other thing. It says God gives, like the way we destroy ourselves, he just lets us have that and it destroys us. It's pretty scary. And the reality is that's all of our stories. That all of us in one form or fashion or another have chosen to not worship the creator, but worship creations. And therefore, God pouring out his wrath just gives us up to those things. So we chase after these idols, whatever they may be, thinking they're going to satisfy us, and all it does is lead to more destruction. Look what he says. Verse 26. For this reason, so again, the reason being because of our our idolatrous hearts, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. If you're like, I think that's talking about, yeah, it's talking about homosexuality. That's what that's talking about. And just, just a couple of things here. So first of all, this is not, the focus of this entire passage is not just about homosexuality. I think sometimes... And I've maybe in the past and this before just used this passage to preach about homosexuality. This passage ultimately is about God's wrath. So, and I'll keep saying it, but I want you to get it. We are all under God's wrath. God is angry with us because why? We are what? Idolaters, right? We've chosen to worship other things than God. And because we are, are idolaters, God gives us up to sin. And sin actually destroys us. Here's what I want you to see. Every sin, he's about to list a bunch of sins. All these sins we're about to see are the fruit of a root problem. And what is the root problem? Sin, and the word here that it keeps talking, idolatry, right? Which I don't actually, doesn't really use that word much, but the idea of idolatry, right? So fruit sins come from root Heart sins, deep issues, and the deepest issues is that we are all idolaters. So here's what I want you to get, what I want you to see. According to this passage, homosexuality is a sin, okay? But it is not the unforgivable sin. We are to love people that struggle with homosexuality. So again, we're not, this is not a sermon on that, but I just want to make that clear. Also, this just to clear this up, because this, there's unfortunately been confusion and probably in Baptist churches. Does this say that homosexuality is the worst sin? No. But it is a sin. And again, it's a fruit of the root problem of choosing to worship something other than God. And in case you are sitting, oh man, homosexuals are the worst. Well, you're included in this list, I'm sure, this next list. And uh, all these things are just as bad. This is what he says. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, so again, choosing to worship things other than God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, 
deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, which means prideful, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless. By the way, so disobedient to parents, okay? So anybody have been disobedient to your parents? Okay, good. So quit looking down on all the homosexuals, right? Okay, I mean, sin too, but we're not any better than them. Okay, sorry, that's... Got distracted. Okay. Um, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. If this is a safe place, raise your hand if you've ever done one of those sins listed. I'm raising my hand like multiple times. Okay. This is our story. All of us are guilty of these things. No, no one gets it. Oh, no, nope, never been me. No, all of us have done these things. But again, these are a fruit of what? Idolatry, right? Worshiping something other than God. All of, again, all these things come from me pursuing a person, a concept, an object more than God. God is angry with us. Because we worship, we magnify, we pursue all the wrong things. What's the big deal with that? If, talk to the guys for a second. Guys, let's just imagine, maybe you already have, you know. Let's just imagine you meet that girl, you know what I'm saying? And if it's the first date, don't start thinking that, okay? <laughs> like, just, just calm down, right? But let's, let's say you, you meet that girl, right? And you fast forward and you, and you pursue her like a godly man. And you protect her purity. And then so then protect your purity. And, man, you do all these things right. And I'm trying to you know, get coach up here a little bit, okay? And let's say you date through college. And, and which, Lauren, by the way, just encourage you in case you're like, no, I'm getting depressed. Laura, I didn't meet till after college, okay? It's so like, you're going to be okay, all right? So um, you, you date for however long, and then, man, you, it, it comes time. You're going to surprise her. You buy that ring for her, and you're so excited. And you, some of the girls are, like, getting distracted right now. <laughs> anyway, like, just dreaming about it. Anyways, so, so you buy that ring, and you take her, like, behaves did to that first spot you saw her, right? And just going to have to do that. Anyways, you propose... How are you going to feel if after you propose, she totally forgets about you and becomes obsessed with the ring? (laughs) Take it back, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Right? I mean, I don't care how beautiful the ring is. If she falls more in love with the ring than you, that's a problem. (laughs) Right? Like, no bueno. This is not good. If she finds more joy and love in the ring than you, you have a right to be frustrated. (laughs) Maybe angry. Like, by the way, I I gave you the ring, right? Like, hello. (laughs) Don't forget about me. Girls, how would you feel? Did you say amen? <laughs> amen. How would you feel if, you know, you, you've been dating that, that guy for a while now and, <laughs> oh, I'm laughing, and you decide that, you know what, 
it's time. You want to be a blessing to him. And so, <laughs> I don't know why I picked this. And so, you decide to buy him. I'm intentionally picking something kind of cheesy here. You buy him an Xbox One, whatever the latest thing is, okay? And so, <laughs> I think some of y'all thought I was going somewhere different. I'm not sure. Okay. So, you give him this Xbox One. Again, we're potentially being a little lame here. How would you feel if after you gave him the Xbox One, he never had time for you? <laughs> that happens already. Okay, yeah. We should revisit some of these relationships. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, whatever your name is. Like if, if, which just to be clear, like we have an Xbox. We mainly just watch The Office on it, but that's another story. Like, amen. I can get some amens in some weird spots here tonight. I can guarantee you, if, if I started not spending time with Lauren because I was with our, my Xbox instead of her, like someone's going to die, right? And his name is Brandon, right? It's not going to go well. And, and you know what? Rightfully so. How, how like, and I know it's a silly example, but how lame is that? Would that be to... To not spend time with my beautiful bride, who is, I think, more amazing than any other person. So y'all are cool, but she's pretty amazing. Because I'm distracted by something as lame as, though I have one, as lame as an Xbox. She would have a right to be very angry, right? And if she wasn't angry, you would think that was what? Weird, at the very least, right? Like, she should be upset about that. On a much grander, bigger more terrible scale, that's how our idolatry is with God. When we choose to pursue, to think about, to love something more than God. He has every right. In fact, it is right for him to say, what are you doing? How are you going to choose that over me, the creator? What are your idols? Or what is your idol? I want to be clear here. I think these are deep things. So not like, um, it's probably not your phone. It could be, but I, I think they're deeper. So just a few examples. It could be you. Like yourself. Like that you, you find your most joy and excitement in life and just like you love you some you. <laughs> Maybe some, some hints that you may have the idol of self would be that you can't get along with anyone else because you always have to have your way because you love you some you, right? Maybe your idol is the deep idol of comfort. That you got to have, in both of these I've listed, I'm like, man, I'm like, well, crap, that's me. That you have to have stuff to make your life comfortable and good. So you'll do whatever it takes to make yourself comfortable. And sometimes, like, maybe you know God has called you to do something or to go somewhere, but you've been resistant because what is your first priority, what is your God, is comfort. If it's going to make you uncomfortable, then you're not going to do it. Maybe your idol is, excuse me, is acceptance. I have to look a certain way. And I have to make sure I'm a part of all the cool things so I don't miss out on anything because I've got to be accepted. And if I think for a second that someone doesn't like me or is, it mad at me or is mad at me, it devastates me because 
My God is acceptance. I had another one that I'm blanking out on here. Yeah, another one. Man, I'm fucking guilty of all of these crap. <laughs> Maybe another one is control. The idol of control. Which, again, the, that's the, the root. I think the fruit could play out in many ways, but some ways to know if your root idol is control is you flip out every time your schedule gets thrown off. Or, like, you hate surprises. Someone th- throws you a birthday surprise, and you're like, I hate you, man, because you have to control everything. What are your idols? And you say, ah, oh, man, again, I don't think that's me. I don't really have idols. I, I would just challenge you to consider what motivates you, what drives you to get up in the morning. Is it God, or is it accomplishing some, some goals so you can have a, a better job and be more comfortable? What keeps you up at night? What do you think about at night? What do you find your greatest joy, your greatest delight in? What is the the thing or person that you just have to have, that you cannot live without? Is it God or is it a thing or some other person? If it's not God, then that's idolatry. What is it that has your greatest affection? Is it God or is it an idol? And again, if you were to, so you say, okay, well maybe, maybe I do tend to worship things other than God. But why is he so mad about that? Again, that would be like asking why the man or woman whose spouse cheated on them is upset? That would be a ridiculous question, right? God has every right. And again, it is right. It is just. It is good for him to be angry with us because we are all idolatrous sinners who have turned and found our greatest joy, our greatest delight in something other than him. And here is the reality that because of that, again, what it says in verse 18, we are all under the wrath of God. That's our story. That's the story that we're we're stuck in. Like you you can't be, you, you can't pull yourself out of that. All of us pursue things other than God. That's our story that we're stuck in. And not only do we experience God's wrath here, but ultimately we're going to, as people under God's wrath, his ultimate wrath is poured out in a place called hell. We are separated from God and everything that is good forever. That's our story. That's the backdrop To the gospel. Here's what I want you to see. Absolutely, 100%, Romans 1, 18-32, that is every single one of our story. That is our backdrop. But you know what? That doesn't have to be the end of your story. Because that's just the backdrop for the gospel. When you see the 
the wrath of God, the hatred of God towards sin, and that you're under that and that you deserve the wrath of God, all of a sudden, the gospel becomes beautiful. You know why? Because Jesus, seeing that we could not change our story, that we're stuck in our story, Jesus, God sent Jesus to say, you know what? I'll trade stories with you. (laughs) I, Jesus came, said, I will take on the wrath of God. So you can experience the forgiveness, the love, the mercy, the grace of God. See, the gospel isn't beautiful and captivating and wonderful if you don't get that, uh, you don't first get that you're a sinner deserving hell and separation from God. That's all of us. But again, when you see that in spite of that, Jesus came to trade stories with you. Meaning that he came to live the life that you should have lived, to love God supremely, but that none of us have lived. He came and lived that life for you. All of us, because we're idolaters and have, have pursued things other than God, all of us deserve death, hell, separation from God. That's what it says in verse 32. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And it says, they deserve to die. That's what we all deserve. Jesus said, hey, I'll leave heaven's throne. I'll come and I'll trade stories. I'll live the life you should have lived, but didn't live. And I'll die the death that you deserve. Not only that, I'll rise again victorious, conquering death, hell, the grave, and sin, so that you can have forgiveness. And to go back to verse 16 and 17 of chapter 1, that you can have the righteousness of God. So again, here's what's so beautiful about the gospel. That God doesn't just wipe your slate clean and clean off your backdrop. No. In the midst of the backdrop of our sin and idolatry, the gospel shines brightly because Jesus came not just to cleanse us and forgive us, but to give us his righteousness so that when God looks at us, he doesn't just see us as forgiven. He sees us as though we lived the life that Jesus lived. That is the gospel. So here's how I want us to respond tonight. you're not a believer, you don't know Jesus. Right now, the only story is that you're an idolater and you've run from God and you've sinned and there's no bright spot of the gospel on your, on your canvas, on your story. Then, then I would ask you, how are are those idols treating you? I would stake my life on the fact that God makes a way better God than whatever crummy idol you're serving. Augustine said, our hearts are restless. They're wandering until they find their rest in him. If you don't know Jesus tonight, I want to encourage you to realize that, yes, like all of us, your life is broken and messed up and your backdrop is really dark. But Jesus wants to offer forgiveness and hope and love and your heart can find rest. You don't have to keep searching for this idol, whether it's um, acceptance or comfort or Self or whatever it is, control or finding that those um, joys in a person or a thing or or a, a job, whatever. But no, you can find rest in Jesus. So tonight, here in just a second, when I pray for us, I'm going to have uh, Deborah and Jonathan Becca back against that back wall. And if you're like, hey, you know what? 
I want to know Jesus, they would love, I promise they would love to talk with you and pray with you about that, what that, what that looks like. I mean, you've kind of heard it. They would love to, to pray with you about that. And if you are a Christian tonight, two things very simply. First of all, and I think we, because of the truth here in, God's pas- uh, in this passage, God calls us to rejoice in the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus. That because of the cross, we don't have to be under the wrath of God. And we are no longer under the wrath of God. That's a good reason to sing. And the second thing I think this passage calls us to do as believers is to what, do what John says in 1 John, I think chapter 5, to keep ourselves free from idols. Even as Christians, we tend to go back to, again, not like straight up like worshiping, we wouldn't say it that way, but we tend to go back to worshiping other things, right? We get distracted from God and loving Him supremely and enjoying Him supremely. So maybe as believers tonight, there's some idols in your life that you need to put away and get rid of. They tend to creep in pretty constantly, don't they? So if you're willing and bold enough to say, man, I've got some things in my life that have been keeping me from loving God supremely and pursuing Him supremely, I'm going to ask, I think this would be a, kind of a cool habit for us, I'm going to ask that maybe you'd be bold enough just to come down to the front and pray and say, God, please remove that from me. I want to love you first and foremost because of the hope and the light of the gospel. Does that make sense? I want to pray for us. Again, if you're not a believer and want to know Jesus, I'd love for you to talk to um, Deborah or Jonathan or Becca in the back. And if you're a believer and it's time to put away some idols, I encourage you to come pray and then we'll sing just for a second. God, we're so grateful for your word and the fact that you love us and have pursued us in spite of our idolatrous hearts. Lord, we have run from you and yet you have run to us to rescue us and to save us. And so I pray that you would save to folks that do not know you tonight, Lord. And that we as Christians would rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We would rejoice in the gospel, what you have done for us. And we would continue to put away idols and to continue to love you supremely. So Lord, help us just in this quiet moment to be bold and respond and to seek your face. Knowing that nothing comes close to you, Lord, the way that you satisfy us. It's in your name we pray.